Steve and AJ, appreciate you guys so much. Well, Deuteronomy is a very interesting book. A wonderful book. Moses is recounting a little bit of history from the very beginning of going down into Egypt during a famine. The 400 and some odd years they were there and then the 40 years of wilderness wanderings. But he is reviewing some things that Israel needs to be reminded of. And I believe it was obviously because during their 40 years it seemed some of them had forgotten some very important things that they should have been remembering. And so our key verses from Deuteronomy chapter 10 are verses uh, 12 and 13. Let me get this thing out of my way here. And the Bible says, And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? Does that kind of set you up to, hmm, I wonder what he wants. I wonder what he's asking. I wonder what he's thinking. And so we read on and it says, But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command thee this day for thy good. Whoa. Aren't you glad that's Old Testament? That's for those people who lived way back then. <laughs> Well, I suppose that we would have, we could have titled this message as, What Does God Expect? Now, it would appear that there are those who believe a mediocre Christian life is sufficient to please the Lord. They are satisfied with the status quo in their life. They're not really interested in progressing. They're not interested in any progressive sanctification. They're not really interested in any spiritual growth. They're glad they've got their ticket to heaven. And as far as they're concerned, they're good to go. But spiritually, they never get off the ground. However, just because we may be satisfied doesn't mean that God is. How many of you enjoyed it when your children were satisfied with getting a C when you knew that they were capable of a B or an A? Well, Mom, at least I'm not getting an F. You should be satisfied with my C. And then you look at them and say, yeah, but you are capable of so much more. And it is important that you do better. And so we can see that as far as having a relationship with God, God has some very high expectations about our relationship with him. Now, thinking back to your earlier life when you began to think of a boyfriend, or a girlfriend who might become a potential life mate. Hopefully just didn't settle for anybody who came along. And unfortunately you see that happen a lot of times. People settle and they don't really discern, especially Christian young couples, Christian young people. They don't seem to have any problem with dating an unsaved individual. They don't have any problem becoming involved with an unsaved individual. Knowing that the Bible says to be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, with the unsaved. Somehow, that doesn't matter to them. And it's because they're not serious about their relationship with God. And they're willing to let things enter into their lives that can destroy that relationship with the Lord. Now, I'm not talking about loss of salvation, but I am talking about fellowship. But I want you to think back to your earlier life. 
and you began to think of marriage and you had some expectations of a person that you would like to marry. I did. I had expectations uh, back when I was probably, even before I was a teenager, I had some expectations. Had to be exactly like my Aunt Pat. Uh, she pretty much raised me. I mean, all the time that I spent with my grandparents in Bridgeton, Maine. Uh, she was a high schooler at the time, and of course she ended up being my, pretty much my full-time babysitter. And she was more like my mother during those early days than my own mom was, not because my mom wasn't a good mother. My mother was a good mother it, with, uh, with all the burgeoning growth of our family, and uh, it was easier sometimes for them to come and take me. And uh, there's, a lot, there's a lot of history in there, too, as well, uh, that... Uh, that uh, I had been singled out of the nine to be their favorite one, so, so to speak. <laughs> well, I mean, a lot of had that had to do when I was, I was about uh, five to six months old. I had contracted pneumonia. My grandmother, who was an RN uh, at that time, she actually quit her job to take care of me 24 hours a day for however long it took for me to get keep, her to keep me alive through, through, the, through, the, uh, through the pneumonia. So. There was obviously that relationship that she had developed along the way, and I was around all that particular time. And so, I mean, so there was a, a deep bond in the relationship there for sure. But low expectations or no expectations can and do lead to a very disappointing or unfulfilled marriage. Getting to know someone before you marry them is really important. Courtship should be very, very important. That's why these shows, these shows on TV, if you're watching them, don't waste your time on such stupid programs. 90-day fiancé or 90-day whatever it is there. And you have all these women vying for this guy or all these guys vying for this one particular woman and not one of them has a clue of what marriage is all about or what it's like. They have no clue whatsoever. Don't waste your time watching stupid, period. So, but you had to have some expectations. Uh, you, you wanted to be able to hold down a job. You'd want to be able to make sure he was able uh, uh, to take care of you, put a roof over your head, and, and put food on the table and so on there, and, and vice versa. The guy has expect expectations of the women, and, and I know that a lot of these expectations have changed because society has changed for the most part. But uh, let me tell you something about God's expectations. God's expectations have not changed. Amen. We may want to try to dumb them down because we have a, a generation who doesn't really care about God. And so therefore preachers sometimes and sometimes ministries dumb things down so that they don't offend people. Listen, if you love God, you'll never be offended by any of his expectations of us. So God has given us in his word his expectations that's, that, that make for a rich and a rewarding relationship for those who will dedicate their lives to spiritual growth and pursuit of God. The more we learn of the Lord our God, the greater our love and admiration of him is going to be. Now, being the dumb teenager that I was, and meeting my wife for the first time when she came to church, I didn't think about my spiritual relationship and or her spiritual relationship. But as I look back now, that would have been the most important aspect of our, of, our, of our relationship and our development along the way to make sure that we had a spiritual priority first and foremost. And then my expect, God's expectations of me would have been her expectations of me as well if she had her expectations of God and vice versa. And so the idea is that 
the more we learn of the Lord our God, the greater our love and admiration of him. Not because of what we can get from him, but just for who he is. Isn't that amazing? To be able to love somebody for just who they are as an individual. You see, God has listed for Israel the blessings of obedience as recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 28, 1 and 2, but also the remainder of the chapter, and we'll mention that as we go on. And then he listed the consequences should they break their part of the covenant because Israel and God were in a covenant relationship. Both were in agreement to the covenant. And so we see here that God made eight binding covenants with uh, Israel of which four of those covenants were unconditional. And they were made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and to David. And four were conditional covenants in which God says, if thou. So what separates an unconditional covenant is when God says, I will. The conditional comes when he says, thou shalt. Or if thou. So the conditional covenants recorded in Exodus chapters 19 through 24. Specifically Exodus chapter 19, 5 and uh, chapter 19, verse 5, and chapter 24, and verse 3, and I'll give you chapter 19. And Moses came and told the people all the words. Now Moses came down off the mountain. He had been given the Ten Commandments and so on. It says, And Moses came down and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord hath said, we will do. If you're going to tell somebody you're going to do something, it's smart to do it. Otherwise, they lose confidence in your word. And so they agreed to the covenant relationship with God. They had a very serious stake in how this relationship with God would turn out. And do you realize that you and I also have a very serious stake in how our relationship with God is going to turn out as far as the fellowship goes? And I'll explain what I mean by that in a moment. So similarly how our blood covenant with God through faith in Christ develops depends on the character of our walk before the Lord and his desire for our lives. So Father, as we come to your throne of grace, we come in that very precious name of Jesus today and pray for your guidance and your direction. Lord, principle-wise, nothing has changed in over 6,000 years of human history. Lord, you still you had expectations of Adam and Eve in the garden, and it was one of love and obedience. If they loved you, they would have obeyed. It was the same all the way down through the ages. Love spawns obedience. And so, Lord, we pray that you'll guide and direct as we look at your word today. Guide us and direct us. Speak to our individual hearts. Lord, concerning the things that you, you want us to focus on, and Lord, we'll give you the praise as you continue to minister, whether it's to salvation or to rededication, or to just simply continue on being a faithful child of the Lord. And we'll give you that praise in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Number, number one, the expectations of God. Deuteronomy chapter, excuse me, chapter 10, verses 12 and 13 have already been read. But first, let's establish that as a redeemed of the Lord, we are in an unconditional relationship with the Lord our God. Amen. You can't lose your salvation. There is not a sin that you can do after you have been saved that can cause you to lose your salvation. 
We're not free will Baptists. We're not free will Methodists. We're Baptists. We're Biblicists. If God said it, we believe it, and that's settled. And so we're in a conditional relationship that once we receive Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, we're saved for all of eternity. Now, how that relationship continues is going to be based on you, the individual. Not God, but you and me. So if one has come to a saving faith in Christ, they have eternal life, and as salvation is sealed for all of eternity. John chapter 10, verses 27 through 29. Uh, let's turn there very quickly. We're going to do a lot of jumping around a little bit this morning. If we don't get through, we'll, we'll pick it up next week because I've got some more coming out of there. Um, anyway, John chapter 10. And looking at uh, the beginning of verse 27. The Bible says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them, what? Eternal life. And they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. I think Steve addressed this just was the last week. And, and it is true that the day that I become saved, I am held within the hands and the heart of Christ. And Christ is in the hands and the heart of the Father. For me to lose my salvation, it's going to have to be by God saying, you know what, you're done, buddy, you're over with. He promised he would never do that. He promised he would never do that. But also in Romans chapter 8, over just a couple of books. Okay, come on. Romans chapter 8, looking in verses 38 and 39. Romans chapter 8. For I am persuaded, there's Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul speaking, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, neither height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ooh, isn't that wonderful? Amen. Nothing. He's talking about powers. Satan cannot take away what you have surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ as to our salvation. So, this is an unconditional covenant promise of God that deals with our original sin nature that we are all born with. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 says... Um, for, for whereby as one man sin entered into the world, and so death passed upon all men, for that what? All sinned. That's my original. That, this is where I think a lot of people get confused. They think because a man smokes, he's going to go to hell. A man drinks, he's going to go to hell. Or, or, or if a man is promiscuous, he's going to go to hell. Now, these are things that Christians should not do. These are things that Christians would, should, should not want to do at all in their lives. But those aren't the things that would send someone to hell. What sends someone to, any, to a crisis eternity is the rejection of the person of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for you and me. He became our substitute. That's what it means, effectual. It means that it was sufficient to save us forever once we receive him as our personal Lord and Savior. But... 
We were alienated from God, according to John chapter 3 and verse 18. If we can just turn back to John again very quickly. You've heard me use this so many times. But we have to get this thing straightened out. Otherwise, we're going to be misled by uh, individuals who mix up an original sin nature, that is that which we were born with or that which we inherited from our parents, and the deeds of the flesh. And so in... Uh, Chapter 3 and verse 18, the Bible says, He that believeth on him is not condemned. Did you know that if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you're no longer condemned? But if you're here this morning within the sound of my voice and you have not come to a saving faith in a person of Jesus Christ, you have. You're already condemned. You don't need to do anything to be condemned. You're already in that state. You're already in that status. So he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned what? Already. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And so the word already means that since one has not come to a saving faith in Christ, they remain alienated, separated from God, and will remain so. So the idea of already is that it's a passive, it's in the passive, um, i trying to think what the, other, what the other one is, I can't remember what it is, I know, I know it's in the passive voice. Um, it certainly is a, it, no, I, don't, I don't think it's present because it couldn't be present because it, it means from the day that you were conceived up to that particular point in time but anyway uh, so in other words you don't have to do anything in your life to be condemned by God we're born that way amen we're conceived alienated from God and so um, salvation by faith and of course we know Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 for by grace are you saved through faith is that not of yourselves it's a gift of God not of works lest any man sh sh should, uh, uh, should boast uh, but it, so that deals with that sin nature that we were all born with and works are and have always been irrelevant as to one's salvation works has no bearing whatsoever on our salvation now, we don't work for our salvation, but once we are saved, then God has some things for us to do. He has a service that he expects of each of us. So the blessings are part of a conditional covenant within our salvation, not to, uh, to, uh, not to keep it, but to experience spiritual growth within this new relationship, according to John chapter 14. And while we're right there, John chapter 14, looking at verse 15, if you love me, you what? Keep my commandments if you love me. All right. And so, what is the basis of being an obedient believer? What is the basis? Love. Love is a basis. We don't cheat on each other as, as spouses because we love them. And we know it's not right. And so, we obey our commitment before God and to our spouses along the way. And so what is the basis of being an obedient believer? It's all, it has always been love. It has always been love. The degree to which one loves the Lord Jesus Christ is the degree to which they will admit, uh, submit to rather. I know that's a nasty word in this generation. But nonetheless, it is a biblical word and it's a beautiful word. And we'll find out if we exercise it rightly when we stand before the Lord. So anyway, to the degree to which they will submit to and obey him, the degree to which you love the Lord is the degree to which you will submit and obey. 
And so the Lord knowing this makes it our quest. He makes it our journey in our relationship with him being to love him. Isn't that what it said in Deuteronomy chapter, chapter 10, looking in, in verse 11? And the Lord said unto me, Arise, take thy journey before the people, that they may go in and possess the land, which I swear unto their fathers, to give unto them. And now, Israel, what doth the Lord require of thee? But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to what? Love him. You know, it's amazing. There was a book back in the 80s that I had read, and it, I had used some of it, and it was called, What? Me Obey Him? And it was about marriage. Well, if God wants that for our spouses to obey us, and he makes that pretty clear in Ephesians chapter 5, but men, you better make sure that you're walking with the Lord and that you walk in obedience. Because our wise confidence in, in, in our relationship and their willingness to submit to us as spiritual leaders in the home is the degree to which they observe our obedience to the Lord as well. They have the comfort, the reassurance that you are growing into becoming a man of God who is obedient to God and who is a servant of the Lord in that process. But he says to love him and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. Which brings us to the exercise of our faith. God is stating a truth that I believe not a whole lot of professing Christians can say that Jesus Christ is their life. Amen? Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Moses is not that far from dying. He's not going to be able to take Israel into, over across the, the River Jordan. But in Deuteronomy chapter 30, beginning in verse 19, Now therefore write ye this song for you, and teach it the children of Israel. Put it in their mouths, that this song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel. For when I shall have brought them into the land, which I swear unto their fathers, that floweth with milk and honey, and they shall have eaten and filled themselves and waxen fat, then will they turn unto other gods and serve them and provoke me. And, uh, and um, I'm sorry, I just lost my part. And it shall come to pass uh, with, uh, with many... I'm trying to think of that's the verse I want. Doesn't. I'm looking for the verse that says, who is, who is your life? No, why didn't I see that? 19 and 20. No wonder I'm in the wrong chapter. I don't forget the right chapter. I have 30 up there, but yeah, it is chapter 30. Okay, here we go. Uh, I call heaven and earth uh, to, re to, uh, to uh, uh, record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Now, if you were to look back in Deuteronomy chapter 28, he does exactly that. 15 of those verses, or at least 14 of those verses in Deuteronomy chapter 28, are all the blessings that God will provide for them if they will walk in obedience to the Lord. 
And then he takes the next verses, which are 15 through, I think, 68, and says, these are all the curses if you choose not to. You know, it's a lot easier to just obey God than it is to have to learn the lessons the hard way. Just do what God wants you to do in the way that God wants it done. But he goes on and he says there, I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Before, uh, Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and that thou mayest obey his voice, and that thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is what? Life. For he is thy life. How many of us can honestly say this morning that, that, that God is our life? Think about that. I've heard people say, my wife is everything. Oh, my husband is everything. My kids are everything to me. But how often have we ever said that God is everything? God is everything. And so, he says, God, who is our life? Perhaps there is a willingness to say that Jesus is a part of our lives, but that he is their life, not so much. I don't think you have to be a rocket. If you know your scriptures and you... And, and, even in your own life as well as other lives, you can see choices and decisions that people are making. And you have to admit, without being, honestly, without being judgmental, know in your heart that God is not their life. He's a part of it, but he's just not his life. There are people who have been born again, Bible-believing Christian, who are not in church today. Well, some have had to work. I understand that. You have jobs that are absolutely an absolute necessity. But for the most part, if it's a matter of golfing or fishing or skiing or whatever it is you want to do, that's a leisure time kind of a thing there. And, 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 and you didn't take time to read your Bible and you didn't have time to pray. And, and when church comes around, you find every excuse in the book not to go to church there. Then God is not your life. He is not your life. Because wherever God is being taught, wherever God is being preached, where the message is being presented in a biblical uh, fashion, then that's where the believers should want to be. Well, it's a Wednesday night. Oh, but preacher, I have to work Monday and Tuesday. I work all day Wednesday. Yeah, I can't stay my job. I don't want to be in church. I just want to go to bed and pretend the world doesn't exist. How about you just come to church on, listen, we could use more prayer partners. I, I enjoy Wednesday nights. Even though, I have to, even though I have to prepare the message and the prayer card. I still enjoy coming to pray with the people of God. I mean, no, if the devil is, is, is more successful in keeping us out of church on a Wednesday night, then God is in getting us here. Or if we have revival meetings or other things that are going on, then what kind of a message does that send to God? God, you're important, but you're just not all that important. You're not that important. And so, what would a life look like where God is one's everything? What would it look like? Do we dare to imagine what a life where God is everything would look like? What America would look like if God was everything? What this world would look like? I believe we'd probably have to go all the way back in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve were first placed in there. But primarily it is a life in which every facet of that life 
God is the center. His desires are not ours. His, his, uh, say, his desires uh, are our desires. His will, ours. His plans are ours. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If any, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a what? A new creature. All things are, behold, are become new. There should be a growing the, the longer we're saved. And the more time we spend in the word of God. And the more time we spend fellowshipping with God, whether it's with groups and, and messages or, or, the, or the books that we're reading, then guess what, folks? The more in love we become with him and, and the more realistically he becomes a part of our thought processes. What would God have, what would God have me to do? How would God have me to handle this? What would God have me to say? How would God have me to counsel? How would God have me to act or to react in this given situation? See, he becomes a part of every facet of our life. I just can't, I, I cannot see for the life of me the Apostle Paul sw swimming around the Mediterranean Sea muttering and grumbling and moaning and groaning against God. He said, you know what? I have nothing better to do with my time right now than to pray. And he probably spent his time floating and praying. But the new things of 2 Corinthians 5.17 is the input that the Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God are, are, are sought out and become the basis of our decision-making process. And so it's the idea that we now realize that God knows what is best for us and the best way to handle life. You may think you have a better idea how to handle your life, but how many of you know exactly what God's plans are for you tomorrow? Next week, next month, next year. Anybody here know? You can make your own plans if you want to, but the truth of the matter is you submit those plans before God and say, God, feel free to change them anytime you want to change them. And he'll say to you, yeah, I can. And I will. <laughs> so it's the idea that we now realize that God knows what is best for us and the best way to handle life. We take our hands off. You know, the only thing I'm going to keep my hands on is a steering wheel. <laughs> I do not honestly know if I have reached that point where I'm going to sit back in my car and let it run auto. I know they've done some wonderful things along the line there, but it'd be my luck that W that would just go south. I mean, I'd be, in, I'd be in big. I still am not ready. And, but sometimes when it comes to our lives, and I, listen, I tried to control my life. I'm going to be honest, it did not work out very well. It wasn't a very satisfying time in my life until finally completely surrendered to the Lord and said, Lord, you take control. I have not done such a good job. Lord, I know you can do a better job. Sometimes we have to go through that before we realize that. But we have to take our hands off and allow the hands of God to guide us. And sometimes as parents, we have to be careful about our young people. I don't know about you, but when I was a young person, I didn't always make the best decisions. As a child of God, I didn't always make the best decisions. And sometimes they have to make these decisions so that they learn the hard way. Just be there to help them to be restored, but don't interfere with what it is that God wants them to learn. That's not easy for any parent. But sometimes you just have to back off, take your hands off, and say, God, you're in control. Because God loves them more than you and I could possibly ever love them. And so 
every waking moment of every day is to be lived to glorify and to magnify God, regardless of what our flesh wants to do. There is a, a wonderful, ever-growing awareness of God's presence in our thought life. So that when unholy, uh, unholy, I'm not sure what that is, but it's probably a Biden expression somewhere. So. <laughs> I know I probably shouldn't have said that, should I? Okay. But an unhealthy and an unwholesome reality is, is, is to assume that you know more about your life and what's best than what God, than what God does. And, and I'll go back to the, to the first point in point number two and again state perhaps there is a willingness to say that Jesus is a part of our lives but not go the length and say that he is their life. The minute we look at the scriptures and choose to ignore, to ignore them because we're more interested in our agenda than we are God's agenda, God is not your life. When I do not seek God's counsel because we know it will run counter to our desires, then God is not my life. When the wants of my flesh take precedence over the Holy Spirit's desires, then God is not my life. My flesh is. Galatians 5.17 says, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. See, the new, the, the, the new things in 2 Corinthians 5.17 are the things that we're gleaning from the Word of God, through the Holy Spirit of God, making application to our, to our mental thoughts, our reasonings, and so on. The point being, the greater our love for the Lord our God, the greater will be the counsel of the Holy Spirit, and the more sensitive our spirit and conscience become, and our desire to do what is right in the sight of the Lord becomes our priority. There is an appalling discounting of the relevancy of God in the decision-making process of many of today's professing believers. It may be that you could make a good choice. You could make a good decision. But isn't it, isn't it better to bathe it before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm about to make this choice, about to make this decision. Lord, how about you, yay or nay? And let him give you the, the answer along the way for a peace that passes understanding. There is a shamefulness of a lack of what we do, what we think, how we act, the decisions we make and the priority God holds in, our, uh, holds in all of these things. And so there is this idea that it's my life. I'll live it as I please. One can tack that course, but they will do so at their own peril. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with what? A price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. God owns us. Amen. I'm glad he does, because if I own myself, I'd be a mess for sure. So to tack the course that is in my life, is to break fellowship with God by wresting control of my life from God 
And it never, ever bodes well for us when we do so. Israel continues to serve as an example of what happens to the Lord's people when they break their responsibilities. When they break their responsibilities in their covenant relationship to God. And we close with point number three, the expectation revisited. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 3, just mark it down, says, When Christ, who is our life, Paul wrote that to the believers in the city of Colossae. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear. He's coming, amen? And, and you can make the last ditch effort. When you think you hear this trumpet sound, try to do what you should have been doing all along, and it's not going to work very well. But when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. The expectation that God has for us isn't unreasonable and he has given us all the tools that are necessary to experience the most profound relationship known to man. Listen, we don't have to try to guess what it is that God wants us to do. I don't have to guess how it is that God wants us to live. Pick up the book. Read the book. Meditate. Study in the book. God will tell you. He'll tell you how to run your marriages. Man, he'll tell you how to be a good husband. Ladies, he'll tell you how to be a great wife. He'll tell you how to be great parents. He'll tell you how to be great children. It's all in the book. All you have to do is read it. Then apply it. Amen? It's not rocket science. Come on. So when we love the Lord our God, and uh, the Lord our God with all, with all our hearts, and with all our soul, and with all our mind, Matthew 22, verse 37, then we will long for that day when he shall come for us. Now, some of us are saying, Lord, come quickly. i got so many bills, I can't pay them. I'm, I'm trusting the rapture is going to come tomorrow, please, before my bills are due. Or, or maybe, it's a, maybe you've made a mess of your life. You say, Lord, please come quickly and get me out of this mess. Have all the wrong reasons in the world for desiring and craving for the second coming of the Lord. That was not the, the Apostle Paul's experience. He fell so in love with the Lord. He couldn't wait. He was beside himself with anxiety for his face-to-face -face meeting with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, it's not about escaping our problems here, but simply because we love him so much, we just want to be with him. You guys remember how it was when you were first married? How you had to go to work? Couldn't wait for him to come home. My poor wife. We got married. Went to Rome, New York. I was working third shift at uh, Griffiths Air Force Base, 49th Fighter Interceptor Squadron. Home is over eight hours away. In the apartment building. I'm at work all night long. She can't sleep a wink. So she cleaned that... that, that Teeny, weeny little apartment. I don't know how many times during the night, but it, was, it, was, it, it, it would have made a drill sergeant proud. <laughs> but the truth of the matter was that she couldn't sleep without me being there. It was a strange place to be sure. She couldn't wait for the sun to rise knowing I'd be coming home. Now I get this, you back so soon? <laughs> Things do begin to change a little bit along the way, man. But nonetheless... Uh, there is that, that desire for us that the more we fall in love with the Lord, 
the more interactive our lives are with him and him with us, the longing is going to grow. So this is how the apostle Paul felt. First a hater, a despiser of Christ and Christians. Then the Damascus Road experience in the book of Acts. Changed everything about Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 became a reality in his life. All things passed away. All things became new. Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. Turn there and get ready to close. Philippians chapter 1. Verse 21. For me to what? Live is Christ. And to die, gain. It just gets better. If it's good this side with the Lord, think how much better it's going to be on the other side. But he says, but if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yeah, I'm going to heaven. But there's nothing there for me. There's not going to be any joy. Because others are going to be laying down the crowns that they had earned. Because they serve faithfully and lay them at his feet. And, and, and those who live according to the flesh will have nothing to lay at the, at, the, at, the, at the feet of the Savior. He said, but if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet I, but yet, I'm sorry, but yet what I shall choose, I would not. He said, for I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Well, that day's coming. And you know what? This, and, and so much the more as we see, see the day coming, then we should realize we need to make it from, from, for some lost time. As it says in Ephesians, redeem, uh, Ephesians rather, Galatians, redeeming the time. And so in light of God's expectation, we need to ask ourselves, Am I all in or not? Christ was all in for me. Christ was all in for you. He didn't just give a little bit of his life. He gave his entire life. He allowed wicked sinners to touch his, his divine body and to nail it to a cross. And he gave up the ghost. But he shed his blood. He did that for you and me. He was all in. Kind of like the picking the chicken, talking in the barnyard, having an argument as to their faithfulness to the farmer, and they got in a discussion, and the and the big uh, the uh, chicken was bragging about how he laid eggs every day for for the farmer to have for breakfast. The big one said, "Yeah, but I'm all in." I can't lay any eggs. He's all in. Folks, either we're all in or we're not. Uh, you've often heard me. How, how many have ever been roller skating when you were teenagers? Nobody ever went roller skating when you were teenagers? The song they used to play was the hokey pokey. You know, one foot in, one foot out, turn around, shake it all about, whatever it was it was all about. And that's how some Christians live their lives. It's a hokey pokey Christian life. You gotta have one foot in, one foot out. They're not all in, because at the end of hokey pokey, 
you're all in. Amen? And so Christ was all in on me, on that old rugged cross. Why would one so pure, one so innocent, so holy, want to die for me, a sinner? So I would not have to remain spiritually dead and face a Christless eternity in hell. Why would he care? Four-letter word, love. He loved me in that while I was un yet unsaved, he died for me. One word, for God so what? Loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoso believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved. Love was on the cross that day. That love was for you and me. That love was for others as well. But only those who come to a saving faith in the person of Jesus Christ and take full advantage of so great a love. So when it comes to my relationship to Christ, how can I give him less love than he gave to me? He was all in. We may have as much time, may not have as much time as we think to get this right as the redeemed of the Lord. But today's a good day to start. Saying, Lord, I'm all in. I'm all in. Father, we thank you for this time that we could be together. Pray that you guide and direct in the invitation time, whether it's here in the building or those who have joined us online today. Lord, this is not a time to be pussyfooting around. This is not a time to put it off for another day. Because every day seems like a convenient day to put it off to the next day. Lord, today is the time to grab the truth as well as to grasp the truth. And to, Lord, praise you for being all in for us. And while we were yet sinners, you died for us. You died in that place. You were our substitute. And now that we have come to a saving faith, Lord, we need to be all in as well. Lord, it may take some time for us to continue to grow, to become the mature uh, saints that you want us to be. But Lord, we've got to begin sometime. We, can't, we can't, can't keep putting it off. We can't keep procrastinating it. So Lord, challenge us. Lord, give us that, that heart hunger to be all in. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed this morning. Not a soul looking around. Whether at home or here today, the power of the gospel is the same no matter where it's preached and where it's received. And being all in is a, a continual growing process called progressive sanctification. I'm making myself available to the Word of God. I am making myself available to the Holy Spirit of God. I am making the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God the center of my life. Lord, I'm all in today. I'm all in tomorrow. And Lord, by your grace, I'm going to be all in until you come and gather us together. Because ultimately, that's what God's looking for in our lives. For you and I to be all in. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Preacher, pray for me today. I don't want to be a mediocre Christian. I don't want to be one of those faint-hearted Christians. I don't want to be one of those up and down, in and out. 
I want to become an even-keeled Christian. I want to become an even-keeled believer. Lord, I want to be all in. I want you to know that you're going to be able to count on me. Preacher, would you pray for me? Moms and dads, we need to pray that our young people will be all in. Because I'll be honest with you, I don't see that happening very often. Even in the midst of some of our own family, I don't see our young people all in. They're glad that they're saved, and they have no doubt they're going to heaven, but they don't get it. They just don't quite get it. But we need to pray that the light bulb will come on, that they will get it, that they're all in. And listen, this morning, if you're not saved, then you can't be all in. Truth of the matter, if you're not saved this morning, you're not in at all. You may go to church, you may even read your Bible from time to time. You may actually pray from time to time. You may be able to throw some money in the offering plate from time to time. But listen, if you haven't come to a saving faith in the person of Jesus Christ, you're not in at all. You're still in the family of Satan. You belong to the devil and his family. By simply saying, Lord, I realize I'm lost. I know I'm a sinner. And I'm accepting you by faith. Lord, become my Lord. Become my Savior. Become my Lord. And he'll hear you say that. And he'll, he'll put your name in that land's book of life. Same at home this morning, folks. Let us know if you have had a change of heart. You're all in. Or you have accepted Christ. We'd love to hear what's being accomplished through our services in the internet. But Father, we thank you for this time that we could be together today. Guided around your word. Knowing that, Lord, this year of 2024 could be the banner year of our spiritual and our Christian growth by simply making a commitment to be all in. All in for Jesus. And Lord, at the end of this year, we'll look back and we'll be so thankful that your spirit and that your word challenged us to be all in for Jesus. Now, Father, we pray for the meal that's to follow this morning. We pray that you bless the food, the fellowship, and the conversation. Continue to anoint Brother Steve as he brings the afternoon message. And Father, we'll give you the praise, the honor, and the glory. You dismiss us now with thy blessings. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.